0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. We hey, want not you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of John. So we're continuing this series through the book of John. Go to John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible on you, there'll be a Bible somewhere stuck under a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home as our gift to you. John chapter 12, we're going to be starting in verse 12 and then right to the end of the chapter this morning. Jesus is um, really in this in this text. Here, as you go there, um, Jesus is coming to a place where he's in the the last part of his public ministry. And 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 I mean Super Bowls today, right? And, and I kind of picture it this way: that that in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, the coaches have multiple meetings where they're talking with their team, saying, "Hey guys, remember what we're doing. Be sure you understand the game plan." And and here's this passage here we're coming to where it's the last public time Jesus speaks to the crowds before the cross. This is Jesus, hey team, let's make sure we understand the game plan. This is, hey hey team, let's let's make sure we understand what this is all about. It's so important because what we're gonna see in the account this morning, what we're gonna see is that, that nobody actually does understand that everyone, even the disciples get it wrong here. And, and, and John has been telling us straight up in, in this eyewitness account he's, he's given for us of Jesus' life. He says, hey, here's the whole purpose of why I wrote this. John 20, 31, he says, I write this that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing on him, you would have eternal life. And, and, and what Jesus is laying out right now, he's saying, hey, listen, this is what it means to Believe. And he's going to say some things that are so upside down. He's going to say some things where where we would read it and go, oh, I get it why they didn't get it. He's going to say, hey, if you want to live, you need to die. If you want freedom, you need to surrender. John records these events because he wants us to see Jesus clearly. So what? So that we would know Jesus personally and we'd find our life in him. So I'm going to pray for us, we're going to jump in to this text this morning. Lord God, I just thank you for an opportunity to uh, be in your word. And our hope is this, our prayer is simple. We want to see Jesus. So Father, I pray that as we read your word, as we study this, as we lean into this, I pray that that prayer would be answered. I pray that we could see Jesus this morning. Lord, for those who, who come in here burdened by, by um, the weight of their week, that, that, God, that they would see Jesus and find hope and life. Lord, for those who are here and just celebrating what you're doing, I pray that, that they would see Jesus and, and say, this is my hope, this is my treasure, and worship could continue. For those who come in here this morning and don't know you, I pray especially that they would see you, Lord Jesus. And today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of new life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's here's, here's the main point I want to have over all this as we're talking about what does it look like to go from death to life. The, The main point is this. We need to see Jesus. And we need to see him clearly. And so often we can make up our own Jesus. Right here people say, well, well, my Jesus would never do that. Because you made him up. Like we, we want the Jesus of God's word, right? We want to know who he really is. And so here we are at verse 12 of John chapter 12. Let me catch you up if you're just joining us for the first time and what has just happened in Jesus' life. He had just, Passover had just begun. This is this huge celebration for the Jewish people. He had just uh, been at Lazarus, uh, uh, sorry, Simon the leper's home where they'd thrown a party for Jesus because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So you see Lazarus at this party with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and Mary pours out her perfume on Jesus in this unbelievable act of worship. And then after all that, we read this, that the religious leaders from that point on were plotting to kill Jesus. So we, we come to verse 12, and Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. Which at this point in time, at Passover, historians could say that Jerusalem would grow to about 2 million people. So again, think of it, Super Bowl Sunday, like this would be in Israel, this would be the Super Bowl weekend, like like the Super Bowl comes into your city and everybody comes in to your city, everybody piles into Jerusalem for this religious festival. If you your Bibles, look at verse 12, it says, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they're all piling in for this Feast and celebration of Passover, it says, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, if you grew up in church, If you grew up in church, you might remember Palm Sunday and you'd celebrate that growing up in church, right? And maybe you're part of a church where like kids ministry would be all a part of it and they'd be all up on stage with their palms, right? Because it's Palm Sunday and, and, and well, they really weren't worshiping Jesus with their palm branches, right? Do you remember this? Like little Ricky is hitting Johnny on the head with his palm branch, right? And then others are like just waving at their mom and the, the kids volunteers are losing their salvation going, would you guys stop it? Ricky, worship Jesus, Right? As funny as the memories are, as funny as they might be, I think they're actually pretty accurate to the original Palm Sunday here. There's a bit of a mob mentality to this, like, like, like some had heard that Jesus had been doing miracles, and so they're wondering, is this the Messiah? And they're coming to see him. Others just caught up in the excitement of it. In Matthew's account of this day, people were saying, he's the Messiah, Hosanna, and others are saying, who is this? I was thinking about a time when I was on a mission trip into Peru, and one night we're out at a coffee shop, and and as we're there, we just see huge crowds gathering in the city center. Like it was this massive thing happening, and so later that night, I, I'm like, I want to go check this out. So I leave the hotel room and go down into the city center to this huge, just thousands of people yelling, and there's this big mob of fireworks and smoke and flags, and I'm like, this is awesome, right? So being as dumb as I am, I'm like, gonna go in. I want to see what this is about. So I roll into the crowd. I'm dancing and cheering to everybody and getting pushed all over the place. I had no idea what was going on. I don't think, is this a political revolution? I'm a, did I just become a part of a political revolution? This is, all, like, what is happening? Now, I did find out later, it was a huge soccer match that was coming through, and I, I think our team won. I have no idea, right? I got to believe there are people like that in this crowd. They're waving palm branches, and they're, they're saying, yes, our coming king. Who is this? What's going on? They're shouting a verse from Psalm 118, actually. Traditionally, you would sing this psalm at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's this feast where they would remember their freedom coming out of Egypt, and they would set up these booths, these tents. They would take palm branches to set those up, and so holding these palm branches, remembering Egypt and remembering them being set free. Also, 200 years before this event, the Maccabee brothers overthrew a, a S- Syrian army that had taken over Jerusalem. They overthrow them. And as Simon Maccabee rolls into Jerusalem after that victory, they're all waving these palm branches. And the palm branch becomes this symbol of the Jewish nation. It was their national symbol. It, it, it was on their money. It, so picture when them, them waving palm branches. would be like us waving Canadian flags, right? It, it, it's this symbol, and it, it would be like you're at a, a sporting event in the, in the in America, and they release a, a bald eagle. At the end, they're like, "Wow, wow, patriotic!" Right? I don't know why they don't release beavers at hockey games. I'm not sure why. Right? <laughs> not quite as majestic, I don't think. <laughs> anyway. These palm branches, they're this this symbol of of national pride and hope. And they're not just saying Hosanna, which means God save us. They added to the song, even the king of Israel, hoping for political freedom. They were hoping for this conquering king that that would take over and, and kick Rome out. And Jesus was coming as a conquering king. They had that right, but not to conquer Rome. They believed that their greatest need In the life of a nation, and each of their lives was a political need, was a military leader to come and and liberate them from Rome. But what they missed was that Jesus, coming as this conquering king, he comes riding on a donkey. I mean, history tells us that Pontius Pilate also rode into Jerusalem. He rode in on a horse to the same kind of fanfare. Why? Because the horse, this this symbol of power and victory, and Jesus rides in on a donkey, and John then reminds us here, right, in in verse 15, it's this prophecy from Zechariah 9-9 that the Messiah would come in humility, in peace. In fact, if you looked up those verses in Zechariah, you would see that right following that verse is another verse that God promises. He says, listen, because of my covenant with you, I will set prisoners free. But the people don't get it. They don't see their need other than political. And, and, and here's why they, we know they don't get it because in a week from now, this same crowd, much of the ones who are saying, Hosanna, here's our king, would cry out, crucify him, kill him. He's not giving us what we want. And this crowd is so us, isn't it? It's why we need Jesus. It's why Jesus has come to conquer our enemy of sin and Satan, and death, and condemnation. It's why Jesus came. It's why we need a savior. He is the king, but he's the king of glory, the king of the universe, and we so need to see Jesus. Jesus as our king, but also Jesus as our savior who brings new life to those who put their trust in him that you would recognize I was dead in my sins, dead spiritually, but now raised to a new life in a relationship with Jesus. Now, it wasn't just the crowds that missed this. Look at verse 16. It says his disciples, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They didn't understand this mission of Jesus until when? It says until he was glorified. It was was after the cross. The disciples now looking back going, oh, now we get that Sunday. That Jesus was coming as a king to conquer our greatest enemy, sin and death. And so, so for us here this morning, how do we see Jesus more clearly then? I think like the disciples here, we, we read God's word through this lens of the gospel. We, we see God's word through the cross as we read it, through the promises of the gospel. As we read, we, we read the Old Testament saying, man, all of this pointing to Jesus, That Jesus comes as the better Adam because he walks in full obedience, as the better Moses to, to really liberate us from a true enemy. He's the better David that rules forever. In our life groups, our small groups, as we gather and we unpack the word, we're always asking this question every time we get together. Hey, where's the promise of God in this? Where's the cross in what we're reading? Where is Jesus in this? Now, why did they miss it? Why, why would everybody have missed who Jesus was here? I, I, I think there are a number of reasons, but I could sum it up in this one reason. They didn't see their real need. Look at verse 17. It says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you, you see that you're not gaining, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world's gone after him. You see that some in the crowd, they heard about Lazarus, so they want to go, they're like, hey, we, we want to see more of these miracles, but, but I think what, what's often missing is, that, is that, that John doesn't call them miracles, John calls them Signs. Why would he call them signs? It's because the things that Jesus did were pointing to something greater than just the miracle itself. Right? The, the sign isn't the destination, it points to the destination. Lazarus being raised from the dead was a sign pointing to Jesus being the resurrection and the life. They wanted miracles, so they missed the greater miracle. That Jesus brings eternal life. The religious leaders they just wanted Jesus out of the way because he's making waves. They're like, Well, look what's happening. We can't stop this. They say to one another, look, see, you're gaining nothing. The world's gone after him. Imagine this meeting. I don't know whether it's like the, the, the older Pharisees like yelling at the JV Pharisees or the other way around, but like they're saying to each other, we're not winning this. I think most in the crowd, though, believe that their greatest need is to be set free from Rome. I got to wonder if the disciples at this time, what they were believing, what they thought their greatest need was, was actually being met in this moment, and that was a need for significance. We, we see in, the, in Luke's account that this same week was the week where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Which one of us gets to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand? imagine this. You're rolling into Jerusalem. You've been a part of this ragtag group of people and kind of on the run a little bit and not sure how this is playing out. You now come into the biggest event in, in Jerusalem. You roll in and everyone is cheering, saying, this is our king. And you're like, what? Yeah, we're his homies, man. We're his entourage. We're with him. And like, we finally made it and miss out on what Jesus was actually doing. Listen, the the story of humanity for all of us is this continual misunderstanding of what's really important. We want to have our needs met, so, so we join a church or, or we get a friend group. We, we want our, our spouse to change, so we make sure we get in to see a good counselor. We want to find a spouse, so we join a particular group. Maybe, maybe I'll find a spouse here. We, we want our kids not to go off the rails, so let's make sure they're in youth group. We, we want our career or our life or our job to be blessed, so we pray before meetings. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong. Going to church, having a good marriage, having great friends, having godly kids, having a good career, those are all important things. They're just not the ultimate thing to live for. And Jesus is about to turn everything upside down as he gives this way from death to life. Look at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, now, now Philip's name's a Greek name, that might be why they're asking Philip, they're going, hey, we're not a part of this, we're, we're kind of outside of this whole Jewish thing, but we want to know what this is all about, and so they go to Philip, verse 22, or sorry, verse 20, 21, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. It's mean, such a cool part of this account. It's just this little piece kind of jumps out now where, where there's the, these Greeks, these Gentiles, these ones who have been outside of the circle, and John's showing us right here so clearly the gospel is for everyone, for all people. Here's what that means. I, I don't know how you roll in here this morning. You may have come in here as a church person going, I'm doing great, like, I, I love this. Maybe you come in here and go, I'm not really a church person. Awesome. The gospel's for you. Jesus is not just for church people. Jesus is for those, he's for those who know they need life, for those who know they're sinners in need of a savior. The gospel is for all people to know Jesus. So these Greeks here, they actually have the right idea. I mean, I think this should be the theme verse for all of us. They say, we want to see Jesus. Man, I would hope that all those who call this church home, that would be your number one cry. I want to see Jesus. That, that you don't come in here on a Sunday because, because there's great music or good preaching or, or just because of good friends and all of those are so good that you wouldn't just come to youth on those nights. Well, I think Marshall's doing something good. Maybe I'll, I'll come here for that because it's something that I like or my friends might be there. And, and but listen, that for all of us, our heart's cry would be, we want to see Jesus. I, I want to see him for how awesome he is. I mean, I, I pray that everything we do as a church would, would be focused on that goal, that, that we would encourage each other towards this. I want you to see Jesus, that we would, we would live our lives that way that we would live our lives and what we would say and do would be in a way that we'd be like, man, I just want people to see Jesus. I don't need them to see me. I don't need them to see all the stuff around me. I just want them to see Jesus. Here's the the great thing about that. When we live our lives in that way, I want to see Jesus and Jesus alone. There's protection in that. It stops us, protects us from just going through religious motions, right? It protects us when people fail us. And listen, I love this church so much. I really do. And, 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 and yet, here's what I know. We will disappoint each other. There's gonna be hurts and sin and failing. So how do you move forward in a community together? You move forward by saying this, I wanna see Jesus. And with our eyes on Jesus, here's what happens. In a community like this, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we forgive more easily. We love more deeply. We seek out repentance more quickly. Seeing Jesus protects us, protects us in our trials. Uh, remember, remember the story of, of the disciples out in a the boat, there's a huge storm, and in that storm, Jesus comes out walking on the water, and Peter's like, Is that, if that's really you, Jesus, call me out to you. So Jesus, yeah, come on out, Pete. Peter jumps out of the boat, starts walking on the water. R- really, I would say this, walking on the promises of God. His eyes fixed on Jesus, and then what happens? He begins to look around. He begins to see the storm around him. Takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. Have you been there before? Right, where, where people have hurt you, or, or maybe sickness has come into your life, or there's just struggles happening, relational, financial, whatever they might be. The storms of life hit. Listen, listen, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Right, verse 23, okay, there's a lot of verses to go. That's the introduction. We're gonna get into the sermon now. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Well, you gotta move though, right? So, so the, the disciples, uh, they, they go and get Jesus and bring him to these Greeks, and, and here's where it gets real. Here's where Jesus is gonna make it so clear what it actually means to believe in him, to see him. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Right there, we just gotta stop there real quick. This is like a momentous shift in the book here. This is, this is a, a huge shift in Jesus' ministry. And if you were to sit down and read this just straight through in one sitting, you, may, you might catch it more easily. But, but remember, as we have been reading through this book all the time, Jesus says over and over again, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. It's not my hour. It's not my time. And now, all of a sudden, he goes, hey, guys, my hour's come. Game on. It's go time. We're doing it now. And I gotta wonder if this is where the disciples would have thought, this is it, man. This is our time to shine. This is where Jesus says, steps in and our needs are met. Our lives are now, there's hope in this. Listen, but for us, Jesus saying, no, no, I'm about to tell you where your needs are met. With your lives focused on me, Jesus says, you're gonna find hope and healing in life, but, but here's where it is. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, So where do we see Jesus? Where do we find life? He's saying here, we die to live. We serve to find life. I mean, this is so upside down. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We love Jesus more than our own life, and that's how we gain everything? If, If we die, we live. If we serve, we're great. I mean, this is not, listen, we might look at that and go, this does not fit our culture. Didn't fit their culture as well. They're in a culture the same as ours where might makes right, where to the victor goes the spoils, but, but Jesus comes into Jerusalem not as a king who will conquer politically or militarily, but as a savior who can save his people from their sins. And he's about to say the way to this victory, Jesus' way to victory was through his humiliating death. And he's saying, listen, when you die to what you want, you'll see this fruit grow, this fruit of righteousness, this fruit of seeing others see Jesus. Why? Because you're died to yourself and you're alive to Christ, so others now see Jesus in you. There's this, this fruit of worship we talked about last week. We're just coming out of you, just a, a worship of Christ. There's a, a fruit of forgiveness, Scripture would say, where you forgive others freely. There's a, a fruit of righteous living where you would say, I'm dead to that sin. I'm not pursuing that anymore. Why? Because I'm dead to that. That's not who I am anymore. I'm now alive in Christ. He says, died to. Died to what? Died to self. What happens when that happens? I love how Paul Tripp would say it. He He would hold up a water bottle. Maybe you've seen this illustration before. And he says, listen, if I shake this water bottle, what will come out? Anybody know? Water, right. Why? Not because I shook it, because water's in it, right? So if water's in it, then whatever happens, if I squeeze it or shake it, it's water that's gonna come out. So, so now picture yourself filled with self. You're just filled with yourself. And, and what happens, you get into traffic and, and somebody's in the passing lane, they will not get out of the passing lane. Why aren't they, don't they know I got places to go? Right. Somebody saying bad things about you and spreading false I can't believe they would do that they're such a jerk I'm going to I can't wait to take that right relationship strife that's it I'm giving up on this this is off I can't do this anymore and it's self all over the place What would happen though if Jesus emptied us of ourselves and we were filled with him so that when we're bumped by the storms of life, by the difficulties we have, that what comes out of us is the aroma of Jesus? How does that happen? When we die to ourselves, when we pour ourselves out, our preferences, our control, our wants, all the things that we expected to be like, I want it to be, and we're like, no, I'm gonna die to that. I'm dying to my, my grip on my stuff. I'm dying to myself to say, Jesus, you are my life now. But to do this, I mean to do this is so upside down that Jesus would call us to this. What he's calling us to is so humiliating to the to the proud. It's so frustrating to the proud, but it's healing in life to the broken. It's so hard because our whole culture pushes against the way that Christ is calling us to live, that, that we're, we're supposed to give life to ourselves. And, and listen, advertisers spend billions of dollars a year to convince you not to die to self. No, 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 no. You need to indulge for yourself and how ridiculous it is. And for those who have lived a longer life and you get to the end of that race you've been on, on that wheel you've been running, and you get to, and you're like, man, it wasn't worth it, right? Man, I thought this car would satisfy me and you can't even see what you look like while you're driving your car. How weird is that? The clothes that you work so hard and you love today. Listen, listen, you will laugh at yourself 10 years from now looking back at the clothes you wore today, right? So Let's not buy into this, this mundane nightmare that culture says, hey, hey, the way to life is more for yourself. Listen, Jesus is No, I, I offer you so much more. And what he says, though, I know it's offensive because what he's saying is this. He's saying, hey, yourself is a train wreck. Die to that. It's offensive to hear you are a sinner, a black-hearted sinner in need of a savior. But listen, it's the greatest news ever because there's hope in that reality that you'd recognize that my problems aren't all these things that that are external for me. It's, It's not my upbringing. It's not my culture. It's not my job. It's not my family. It's not the place where I live because you can do all sorts of things to change those external things and still keep coming to this core brokenness. Why? Because the problem is not out there. It's the sin of our hearts. It's that we're broken on a soul level. But the good news is this, that that, that can be taken care of. Jesus came to die in our place to, to be raised again from death to bring us life and that life can be everyone hears today. When you die to self and you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, my way is not working, I can't save myself, you're made alive in Christ. Jesus, you're my life, you're my king, I'm following you for those who know Jesus, this is what it means. It means that our lives are now, now turned upside down. We're now following this upside-down kingdom logic of Jesus where we would say, like it says in Philippians, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider yourselves more significant. Can you count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look to the interests of of yourself, but also the interest of others. It says this, having in this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do I stay that humble? It's yours in Christ Jesus. I've died to self. Christ is now in me. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble the message over and over again of Christ, the message over and over again of all of Scripture is this, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. And if your self dies, you bear much fruit. And so we live our lives saying, I'm dead to myself, but I'm alive to Christ. And listen, when you, when you come face to face with that person this coming week, because you will, that person that's, that's so wicked and nasty, and you want to fire back, you want to you go after them, you want to gossip about them, you want to lash out. Listen, you come back to these verses, and you remember, no, 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 I'm dead to that. I'm alive to Christ. He's my treasure. He's my hope. He's my life. The religious leaders missed it. The crowds missed it. The disciples missed it. God, I pray we don't do the same. Listen, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that to die to self means, hey, you can't have anything. You can't, don't strive at school. Don't, don't work hard. Have a great career. No, no. No, do all of those things. But, but as you gain that, as you find success, that you would use all of that treasure to treasure the one above all the temporary treasures of this world. Jesus is telling this group of Greeks here, he's telling us true life is found in him. Now here's how that's possible. Look at verse 27. How is this even possible? How do we get to this place? Verse 27 says, now is my soul troubled. Jesus talking here, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now, why is Jesus troubled? He's troubled because he knows what's coming, that he's about to bear the sin of the world on himself. He's about to substitute himself for us. Big theological word is substitutionary atonement. It just means this, that in our place, substitutionary, atonement, he pays our price, takes our sin. Now, why do we need this? Why Why is everything driving to this point? Well, it starts in Genesis, really. God creates humankind and he creates Adam and Eve in His image. It's 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 why the things of this world you can't fully satisfy, because you're created with eternity in your soul. Temporary things can't fill that. God creates Adam and Eve, and things go great for like half a page of my Bible, right? They sin, they, they rebel against God. They say, we want what we want. We don't want to follow you and what you're telling us to do. They run from God. In their sin, though, here's the crazy part, they keep running and they try to now use religion to help themselves out, right? They take fig leaves to cover themselves, to cover their shame, and God steps in and he actually says, no, I will cover you. An animal's blood is shed. That skin covers them, and in that picture of life in place of their life, Jesus says to Eve, hey, listen, one is coming. He says, a seed of yours is coming. And the enemy will strike his heel, but he will crush the enemy's head and bring salvation for eternity. And Jesus is that promise, that Jesus came to live a perfect life. And here he is in this part we're at in the book of John. He's on his way to that that heel bruise moment, the head crushing moment of the cross and of his resurrection, that, that on the cross, Jesus cries out, it is finished And Satan thought he'd won. But Jesus wasn't saying, I'm finished. He says, it's finished. It's paid in full. Sin completely, justly, righteously covered. Grace now poured out on us. Raised from death then in victory to conquer sin and death. And this plan was not a second thought. Look look at how these verses go on. This is the plan from the beginning. Verse 28 says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, will the ruler of this world be cast out? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He's saying, listen, now is the time for judgment. He says, Satan, the ruler of the world at the time, it will be kicked out. He says, judgment is coming. And, and there are two ways to judge sin, two payments for sin, only two ways to pay for sin, two payment plans. One is this, you pay for it yourself. And that payment is eternal separation from God. It's what we call hell. The other payment for the judgment of sin is that Jesus takes the payment. He's I'll, I'll be lifted up on the cross and sin is paid for. And the crowd is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't like this. This is not the king we just welcomed in. Look at verse 34. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man might be, must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They're like, this doesn't make sense. We heard the Messiah would be eternal. What does it mean you're gonna die? You're gonna be lifted up to a cross. That doesn't make sense. Are you this Son of Man? Son of Man, that that title of divinity from the book of Daniel. We can't get our heads wrapped around the Messiah dying rather than just ruling and reigning right now. And Jesus not answering their question, but instead says, guys, you know, this is true. You need to act on it now. Look at verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He's saying, guys, the light's here. You you can choose to walk in it now, or you can just choose to walk in the dark. You are sinners in need of a savior, so sinful that I have to die for you, and you can't get this life on your own. Make a choice today. Verse 36 goes on. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So many couldn't swallow this truth of Jesus because it meant laying down their wants. It it means laying down our pride. It it means embracing a suffering savior. It, It means admitting that we need to be saved. Verse 38 goes on, so the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed in what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. John helps us understand what's going on. He's giving his commentary now saying, hey guys, this fulfills what what the prophet said. And and he says, they're not believing because their hearts are hardened, their eyes eyes are blinded, and and this isn't supposed to make us go, then what's the use? If my heart's hardened and my eyes are blinded, instead what this should draw us to is to drop us to our knees in humility and say, Jesus, would you open my eyes? Would you soften my heart? I've said this a a number of times, but Christianity is, is so hard for many people to come to. Why? Because there's one door to enter into a walk with Jesus Christ. It just happens to be a very low door. It takes humility. It takes brokenness. And the religious leaders can't get there. The crowd couldn't get there. Look at verse 42 as we keep going on. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So you've got these leaders saying, okay, we believe in you, Jesus. And then the Pharisees go, do you really? Nope, we don't, because we would rather have your glory than God's glory. Saved or Unsaved. Unsaved. People don't come to Jesus because they have a ton of knowledge. These guys had all the knowledge in the world. These religious leaders know the Bible better than any of us, but listen, you don't experience the grace of God unless you are broken in humility. And then when you see Jesus, when you experience that he is true life, when you see that you are dead and now alive in the darkest trials or in the highest of heights, you say, Jesus, you're my only treasure. Here's the final Warning and the final call of hope. Verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whatever, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. He's saying this, listen, whoever believes then has life. He goes, I, I haven't come to judge. I haven't come to judge the helpless, the hopeless. I haven't come to even to judge the sinful. Uh, he says, I've come to save you. The, the, the day of salvation is today. Now listen, he says there is a judgment. Hebrews 9 says that we are appointed once to life and then the judgment. There is a time, listen, after this life where every one of us will stand before God. And in that moment, it only matters what you did with Jesus. That's it. It's either this, I tried to self-atone, I stood on my own merits and judged. Or, listen, I knew I was a sinner and my only hope was Jesus, so I stood on his record for me. I believe that when he said it is finished, it meant for me as well. And so listen, listen, as we close, as the worst team comes up, here's the upside down Jesus kingdom we surrender to. We die to find life. The crowd looking for political freedom, the the leaders looking for control, some people looking for life and they found it in the person and the work of Jesus. Listen, as long as we come on our own terms, we are lost. It's only as we come on God's terms, when we surrender, when we die, when we humble ourselves, it's there that we find salvation in life. And so, listen, listen, Christians here today, are you living out of that reality? Are you on that mission for others? you you wanna point them by the fruit of your life as Jesus is is lived out through you, by the words you speak of this great gospel that that you would say this this is, is so worth giving your whole life to. Jesus is the hope of the world. If you don't know Jesus, the purpose here that Jesus is saying, listen, he's saying I've come to call everybody to eternal life from all walks of life those who, who might be here and you think I'm, I'm so far gone I'm too far gone for this Jesus is calling you today and maybe you've been coming to church for a while and just sort of checking this out and maybe this morning you hear this news and it just falls differently on you this morning you say man I've heard this before but man I'm starting to understand it today and maybe maybe today there is this this tug on your heart, this, this, this obvious feeling where are like, man, I know that I need this. Listen, that's the Lord calling you. You're never too far gone to meet Jesus. But don't assume that there'll be light tomorrow. Jesus says, if you see the light today, come today. There are only two paths. It's light or darkness. It's belief and unbelief. It's forgiven or condemned. It's heaven or hell. Which side are you on? Jesus' message is a message of grace and mercy to those who are saying, I can't do this on my own. And John, writing this, would say, I know nobody can do this on their own. That's why I'm pointing you to Jesus, that, that today, if you're a Christ follower, just walking out this life, surrender today. Jesus, I wanna see you. If you don't know Jesus, make today the day you say, I'm following him today because I want this hope and this life and this joy and this purpose and this identity that's only found in Christ alone. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord God, thank you so much that you have not left us without hope, but you have provided for us a way of life (laughs) and life more abundant. where we don't have to follow after self anymore. We don't have to be trapped under the weight of our circumstances, but instead, instead we can bring our sin and our brokenness, our pride, and by laying our life down, saying, Jesus, I don't want this anymore, I want you. I am a sinner in need of a savior. Lord, for those who this would be the first time they would say that, and for those who, Lord, who are following you in every day, have to come to the same place, Lord, that we would come again and say, dead to that, I'm alive to you, Christ. You are my treasure. Lord, make it true today. Let us move today towards that. While it is light that we would walk in the light. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's sing.